Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Ecukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is a, it, well, it's sort of, you know, hump day, I guess it is. You're most of the way there, but you didn't work on Labor Day, hopefully. So you're close to the end of the week, which is great because uh, football is here. College variety appeared last week in earnest in this state, but the pro version will. As well, the Denver Broncos will start their season off against the Las Vegas Raiders, who will visit the NFL season. Of course, actually starts tomorrow. Kansas City will take on Detroit, perhaps uh, without Travis Kelsey, perhaps almost certainly without Chris Jones. Interesting to see how the Chiefs do against a Lions team that a lot of people think may be a playoff team this year. Although, if you get an idea, there was a poll nationally that if, uh, if, if Travis Kelsey did not play for about fantasy football players would you take patrick Mahomes out of your lineup and 98 percent said no well of course and i'm trying to figure out the two percent <laughs> that said yes but okay <laughs> no, not, but we'll find out a little bit for the broncos obviously uh this is a big statement game and it, you've put it very clearly sandy there is probably not an opening game that is a must win but for the broncos whether Sean Payton wants to downplay the rivalry or not, and we we talked about that. I think we understand why he's doing it, because it is a little bit more for fans, for coaches. That's not as, as big a deal, but it's more about setting a culture for the Broncos. That said, the Raiders have had difficulty setting their own culture for a long time. Josh McDaniels is back, although there's apparently some sort of a friction between some part of the staff and Chandler Jones that it resulted in an <laughs> incident of which nobody would speak of. I, I don't know how much of the staff um, is involved in the Chandler Jones dispute because Chandler Jones seemed to get just about everybody Yeah, in the posting he put up uh, that included his own head coach, his own general manager, two people he knows very well, he was, after all, drafted, what, 11 years ago by mm-hmm. the New England Patriots when Josh McDaniels was there as the offensive coordinator. And uh, Dave Ziegler, the general manager, was also part of the Patriot organization at that time. And he had just put something out that uh, he was thrilled to start the season and very excited. And then all of a sudden he couldn't get into the facility to practice right over the weekend or to condition over the weekend. And he went off, went off and he said, what kind of organization locks its gates and prevents a player from working out? He said he had to go to a local gym to get his conditioning work done. And 
basically blistered the entire organization. I don't know that he left anybody out. He, he, he didn't, I guess, nail the owner, but he got just about everybody else. He, he wrote on his Instagram, basically. Yeah. Uh, one thing said, uh, bleep it. I don't want to play for the Raiders if that's my HC. Head right. Coach, or GM. I want Patrick Graham Ivy League. Another t- He's another the one. defensive coordinator. They won't let me into the building, though, trying to provoke, and then posted a text that he wrote to somebody, basically saying, how do you expect me to play this season and I can't even get my GM on the phone? Should I call Josh, or will he not pick up either? Why y'all bring me to Vegas to play with me? It's a shame that I'm a top athlete with 112 sacks in the NFL, and I have to go to a local gym to work out during the season for no apparent reason. This is wild to me, Josh, and you know what you need to do is what you need to. Pardon me, you know it. You need to do what's right. Yes. Yikes. So and Josh McDaniels uh, won't talk about it. Yes. Max Crosby said that it that said that we're good, it's all in-house. Well, that's kind of what McDaniel said, but when he said he'd be glad to talk about the game on Sunday, he was reminded, and I happen to like Josh McDaniels personally. Yeah, you've gone over that. It's hard to say that he has changed much professionally as a head coach from what he presented as the head coach of the Broncos in 2009 and at least part of the 2010 season before he was let go in December of that year. But he was reminded that Chandler Jones' absence could have an effect on winning and losing. Uh, And it is all about the football game. Uh, He still wouldn't comment on it. And Crosby, I guess, backs him up on that, says we'll handle it internally. It'll be fine. Uh, Chandler Jones is kind of a strange player. He does have 112 career sacks. But last year, only four and a half. Last year seem to typify at least what he's been about maybe in the last four or five years, which is wildly inconsistent. And you talk about getting sacks in bunches. He sort of epitomizes that. It seems that he gets a very healthy share of his sacks in one or two particular games and kind of takes the rest of the season off. And, the Raiders, of course, probably didn't thrill Chandler Jones when they used their very early first-round draft pick on a pass rusher. Quite possibly, and that, that, maybe that was the case. Uh, because this is a guy that, despite how he gets them, with the exception of that 2020 season where he was injured and only played in five games, uh, he's had, prior to the 2022 campaign, six straight years of double-digit sacks and seven out of eight. So, I mean, he has gotten the production, yeah, however overall, he's gotten to it. But it's it, it's all concentrated in a few select games. And it was kind of like that last year for him, too. But you and figure then he got a, hurt a little more the rhythm on the opposite side of Max Crosby would make it dangerous. Crosby, of course, uh, to well, say he has the Broncos Crosby number. Crosby, without Chandler Jones, right. is going to be uh, a handful. Yeah, I'd be dramatically Sunday. understating it if I said that, that Crosby had the Broncos number, 11 and a half sacks in eight games in his career against the Broncos. But to me, that just, I think, even highlights. It's not must win, but boy, you'd better. Well, here's you're, you're what, at home here's against a team that has its own dysfunction. Here we are, a handful of games for the opening ga- a day. Uh, you're the number Broncos. You have to beat this Raiders team. Bill Barnwell at ESPN.com this week did a piece that he does on an annual basis right before the season begins. He sketches out 32 scenarios for 32 teams by which they could make the Super Bowl. And a lot of it, of course, is tongue-in-cheek because we all know there are probably six to eight teams with a realistic chance to get to the Super Bowl and maybe even fewer than six to eight with a realistic chance of winning the Super Bowl. So at least three quarters of what he is doing is based on all but inconceivable events transpiring that would allow, oh, the Arizona Cardinals or the Houston Texans to make it to the Super Bowl and maybe win the game. But I thought the way he ranked the teams was fairly sensible. 
And in this case, I look at the Broncos schedule. And if you take the NFL in thirds and add the two teams that everybody thinks are dreadful, Tampa Bay and Arizona, is there kind of a consensus on that? I think think so. They're the two worst teams. Okay, take the other 30 and rank them 10 by 10 by 10. Top tier, middle tier, lower tier. The Broncos have six games against top-tier teams this year on their schedule. Two against Kansas City, Buffalo, two against the Chargers, and Miami. They have five games, what I call 50-50 games, against teams that are in their tier. Most of them probably above Denver, but you could argue that Denver is somewhere in that second tier of 10 teams whether it's the middle or toward the bottom, uh, we can debate that. But they have five games against those teams that are kind of toss-up games. Detroit, the Jets, Cleveland, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Then they have six games, and this will be one on Sunday against lower-level teams, bottom half of the league, Mm -hmm. bottom third of the league, Green Bay, New England, Houston, Washington, and both games against the Raiders. Mm And I would stipulate that if they are to make the playoffs, they'll have trouble winning the six games against the top-tier teams. Um, Obviously, they play Kansas City once on the road. The game against Buffalo is in Buffalo. The game against Miami is in Miami. And one of the two games against the Chargers is in Los Angeles, where the Broncos don't have a particularly good recent history, having been beaten last year by the Chargers and the Rams at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. All right. Uh, You know, the the schedule's going to play out, and we know there'll be some surprises along the way. But those are six games that you can't count on winning. Okay. Right. 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 It's the NFL. Something weird's going to happen. But, you probably won't go zero and six, but you're right. You don't count on it. Not only one, but two of the six games they really need to win are against the Raiders, because everybody thinks the Raiders are a bottom ten team, mm-hmm. and almost all of those people think of the Raiders as possibly a bottom five team, not just a bottom ten team, bottom five team. As does Bill Barnwell, by the way who has the Raiders and Washington ranked 29th and 30th in the NFL ahead of only Tampa Bay and Arizona. The Broncos have three games against those two teams. Those are. They have to win win those games. You got to win all three. You got to win all three. They've lost six straight to the Raiders. They need to sweep them this year. You should and need to beat Houston. You should and need to beat New England at home. You should and need to beat Green Bay at home. Even though it doesn't affect you in tiebreakers, it's an NFC opponent. So that would leave, in theory, the Broncos at 6-6. Six and six, And then I think to make the playoffs, you have to win at least four of the five 50-50 games. And that's why I've said the three most important games on the schedule, certainly the two most important games on the schedule to me. New England was the third, but that's in the you should be able to win right? if you're halfway decent. The Jets and Cleveland. Now, people have wildly divergent views. On, on both of those On teams. the Jets and Cleveland, right? And Bill Barnwell ranks both ahead of Denver, and Bill Barnwell loves Denver this year. I, he thinks Denver will be I would one of the most, of if not the most improved team I wouldn't in the NFL. Put much higher, the but I'd thing put with them. Cleveland is... Their 53-man roster, apart from the quarterback, is actually pretty good. It's hard to find weaknesses. They have a terrific offensive line. They have the best running back in football in Nick Chubb. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into those things a little more deeply as we move along. But this is one of the games you have to win. On some, especially since it's at if, home. If you plan and on making the playoffs, you only have one chance is. to make a first impression. And so it's big for Sean Payton. That's the part. It's big for Russell Wilson. And it's big for the Broncos, generally speaking, 
going up against a team that, for whatever reason, they have not been able to beat this decade, though they play them twice a year. I'm glad you brought up the first impression because that's part of it, too. We we will have a, it was the lead story on ESPN yesterday. Seth Wickersham wrote a, a brilliant piece on Sean Payton, and we, uh, we will have him at, at the top of the hour. Delighted to have him, our great producer Danny Bailey, with the uh, – 400 foot home run there coming right off the uh, the beginning of the, <laughs> the game. But we'll have Seth Wickersham tonight. But the first impression part is important because not only is it the Raiders, which I get it, but who's Sean Payton trying to make the first impression to? Uh, yes, obviously the Broncos ownership and the brass, but also the fan base. This is a man that, that wants to be embraced. Beating the Raiders helps. Losing to the Raiders does not help. Does not help. Losing to the Raiders with Josh McDaniels as head coach really doesn't help. Losing to the Raiders with Josh McDaniels as head coach and a team that's already fighting with itself really doesn't help. Yes, a team that seems even now to be in disarray uh, in in some form or fashion. Now, do they have dangerous players? Yes. Do they have players who perform well against the Broncos? Do they have the league's leading rusher and Devontae Adams? Sure. (laughs) Already mentioned Max Max Crosby. Crosby. You've got Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, who've been Bronco killers. Mm-hmm. And Jacobs has, uh, you know, a 10-day head start. I noticed Nick Bosa signed today. Nick Bosa signed today. Five years, 170 million. Yep. Chris Jones also declared today at uh, an event in Kansas <laughs> that he City. Could play tomorrow. That he could play tomorrow night. Race. Of course, he is not signed. And Andy Reid says it's not close. And uh, certainly the Chiefs aren't counting on having Chris Jones tomorrow, even if Chris Jones says, in theory, he could play if he is signed by game time. Um, so it's it's an important first game, as any divisional game, especially a home divisional game, would be important as an opener. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that sort of goes without saying. And the Broncos have this recent history, uh, which they have to begin to erase from their consciousness. And Seth Wickersham writes about that, too, as an impression that Sean Payton even had during the preseason. And he talks about, and we'll ask him about this, the joint practice session with the Rams because that was the day that Wickersham was around. And we all know that first joint practice of the Rams was awful. And he talks about how angry Peyton is, and he's beside himself after the joint practice, which Peyton obviously takes more seriously than the 41 to nothing victory that was to come in the game a few nights later. But the practice has been awful. And, In describing what has gone wrong with the Broncos, I think there's great insight, whether it comes from Wickersham or from Peyton through Wickersham, that when the Broncos have a bad play in practice, the next play is always bad. And that's part of what has bedeviled this team for the last six years. Once things go bad, it's a veritable avalanche of mistakes that ensues they can't pick themselves up off the ground if they get knocked down they stay knocked down the rams game on christmas day was a perfect illustration of that but it shows up and has shown up this year in training camp on the practice field and i thought it was an excellent observation and one of many reasons that i think uh this season will be at best a mixed bag for the denver broncos at best Realistically, that is probably the case. There's a lot to try to turn around. You know, a that, lot of that, psychological luggage to unpack. There is, and uh, and some of it is Louis. It's been hanging around for a while. It seems to be uh, <laughs> well. It was expensively paid for and uh, uh, hasn't been moving very often. So the Broncos have an awful lot of work to do. We will have Seth Wickersham join us at the top of the hour. I do want to speaking of that Louis luggage? Uh, one Shadur Sanders hot off of nine school records in his debut for the University of Colorado had a couple comments about uh, the shift to Power 5 conferences and his uh, two of, I should say, two of his many running mates that uh, grabbed attention and, and awards, mind you, Travis Hunter and Dylan Edwards. We'll hear this from Sanders next on Miley Sports.
Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I'll say that again. Shadur Sanders set nine school records. For the University of Colorado in their opening win over TCU, 45-42, out in Fort Worth. Sandy, you were there. Uh, it is hard to imagine a better debut for virtually any player at any <laughs> I mean it's really hard to do much better than that you can't walk into a new school and be like eh, let me just take the record book and throw it all out it's I'm gonna put my name on everything uh, in a day the, the point he made after the game was that he never came close to having a game like that on the FCS because he did that have Travis Hunter but he is argument he didn't have all those that, guys that there isn't that much difference in his mind between the FCS and the FBS except in his first FBS game, he threw for over 500 yards, and he never came close to doing that at Jackson State. So I, I thought it was clever and a, a point well made, actually. Uh, listen, nobody plays a flawless game. No quarterback has ever played a perfect game and uh, thrown more than 25 I don't know. How many passes, passes did Phil Simms throw in the Super Bowl win over the 22 Broncos? 22 for 25. That's what I thought. That yeah, That's about as close 25. as it gets. And that was as close to a perfect game as you're going to have. Um, there were no instances that I could see in both watching the game in person and watching it again later on. There were no instances that I could see in which he threw to the wrong receiver. There were two or three passes that weren't particularly well thrown, but out of 47, that's that's still a pretty good batting average. And I thought even the sacks he took, and I guess officially there were four uh, sacks that he did take throughout the game, I, I thought that taking the sack was better than the alternative, which would have consisted of throwing the ball up for grabs or at least throwing in a manner that might lead to a turnover and so, so i i thought the only thing that impressed me more than his accuracy was his poise and decision his intelligence making, yeah. decision making throughout the game was superb and i i i couldn't say that he made many missteps uh, he did acknowledge however to a point you made yesterday yeah we'll hear it that the action in FBS games on the defensive side of the ball comes at you a little faster. A little bit faster. Well, he did last year at least have Travis Hunter with him, an extraordinarily special player. I think we understand that, uh, shaking up the entire college football world. I mean, the, the, the response in college and media from professionals, uh, Pat Satan commented on it as, as well. I mean, it, it's, it's, was noticed all over the football world, not just the college football world, the football world. Uh, following the game, Sanders had this to talk about his uh, once and current teammate. He's been the same player since last year. This is the thing. It's just, it's, just, it's just crazy because it's like everything that we've done in the past, it's just we did the same thing. It's just magnified now. We just had a bigger level. So if you go back and look, look at the old games, look at everything like that, and look at what we did, then you'll be able to understand what's going to happen. There is, I, I think there is, it's not overconfidence. It is just confidence. And I think it's the confidence that comes about when you're able to hook up for 11 passes with your teammate and make it look borderline effortless at times. Although most of the incompletions were directed at Travis Hunter. Uh, he was targeted 16 times. He also went with slightly higher risk 11, passes at times to Hunter, having faith that he would absolutely. be able to do some and things. Right. you could argue that maybe on one of those Travis Hunter oh, is the extraordinary he enough talent. Travis Hunter sure thought he yeah. he spiked his helmet on the sideline. He yeah. thought he, he should have had he, it. He was not happy. Uh, uh, it seemed like but it worked he, out all he right. He strikes me as a perfectionist, and it would have been a hell of a catch. Yes. I don't know routine. that I'd count it as a drop. No, I wouldn't. But it was <laughs> one he could have yes. made, and he will make 
tougher catches than that one during the course. Well, he made one later in the game. He just did it on defense isn't it? with that, a phenomenal interception. That was the best catch he made all day. Yeah. was the interception. There won't be too many better interceptions no. all year. The Hunter's performance, not necessarily a surprise. The surprise uh, perhaps came from true freshman Dylan Edwards, who as you've heard on the broadcast there that Deion Sanders has known uh, really since he was four years old. Alton McCaskill, who, by the way, Sanders said today, uh, may be able to do a little bit uh, against Nebraska on Saturday, but working his way back from an ACL. And obviously, if you're the Buffs, you saw what you saw. You might not be in a huge rush uh, to get McCaskill back. You probably shouldn't be. Because but, they had three running backs who all in their own way looked pretty good. Yeah. And Edwards was spectacular, uh, admittedly more as a receiver mm-hmm. than as a ball carrier. Yes, but uh, obviously talking after that game where uh, Edwards was one of the four 100-yard receivers in the game. Sanders had a chance to talk about his uh, younger, newer teammate. Now, I knew Dylan was going to be real special just by what he does in a scrimmage. And, like, the we get amazing-looking practice. We get prepared amazingly. Like, everything that our coaches prepped us for and told us was going to happen, happened. It was nothing out there that they did that really surprised us. We just didn't execute everything. So I was really satisfied. I was pleased with how we played today. But it's definitely it's a lot of room for improvement everywhere probably uh, the case i mean edwards had been making noise all all camp and and obviously there is there's depth remember that too a kukavasia smoke also in that mix down there they're really five deep at running back uh the running back and the wide receiver positions they're um they're stacked but sanders approach there i think again you you hear a confidence but not a cockiness uh if we mentioned it yesterday, it's up in Boulder. It's not out of Dove Valley, but as Sean Payton says, demonstrated ability is a better definition of confidence. I think that's what you're hearing from Shadur Sanders, not only with the performance he had last year at his level, but the performance now at this level. And it's probably justified. You know, this is your show, 2303-831-1340 is the number. We'll go to the, the phones. Uh, Dave had a comment uh, about Shadur Sanders. What's up, Dave? Hey. His comments were were actually uh, pretty pretty good because I know uh, the FC that FCS level. I told my son two three years ago when South Dakota State came in to play CSU. I told him CSU doesn't stand a chance. That's a great football team, and they are. And they put a beating on CSU. I think last year Sacramento State beat them, and I remember watching Arizona play North Dakota State last year. That might have been their biggest win. Those teams are excellent. There's a lot of good football players that don't get to play Division One. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, uh, Austin Eckler played Division Two from Western State. Exactly. You know, so a lot of guys are overlooked, and a lot of guys have chips on their shoulders, you know. Uh, I saw a defensive lineman that moved from Dar- uh, Harvard to Duke that played well the other night. Yeah, and, so, and, and uh, you started to say Dartmouth. Because uh, CU has a defensive lineman who played right. a lot the other day who transferred from Dartmouth right. to the University right. of Colorado, and he yeah. did play the other day. And, and played well. That being said, the, the kid from Mines, uh, Noah Roper, yeah. I told my son, I go, hey, that kid can play football, and he's a good football player. You know, so, you know, I, I think this week, I think the advantage is goes to Nebraska because they get to see CU on film, you know, so – they had a little bit of advantage not knowing exactly what CU had. So I think see, I think Nebraska will be a little bit more prepared. But, you know, as your colleague used to say, Irv Brown, speed doesn't have an off day. Yeah, they, they may fast. be more yeah. prepared because they could see film that the TCU couldn't. At the same right. time, they put up 10 points at home this weekend. So, I mean, that's a that's a different situation. Well, I, on the road. Oh, pardon me, on the road. Yeah. They put up yeah, – yeah, they, they the 10 points 10 is points. exactly what they put up. And, uh, and they dominated the second half, I thought, until the last five minutes when they beat themselves. It is, and they still only scored 10 points. And Dave's right, because it is the speed that's the problem and the depth at those skill yeah. positions. Colorado's faster CU's than defensive line is going to have some rough games this year. They just haven't been able to turn over everything. Even Deion Sanders this week uh, hinted at that, that the linemen are going to have to beat. They will come after the, the success the program builds, and it would be correct if it continues. But it's not there now, and I think they know it. Uh, this I, I is a team that's going to have to get into some yeah. track meets. The, the front seven. But they seven, were able to do it. 
The front seven is not great. I think they're in pretty good shape. In the backfield. In the secondary. I agree. Uh, but the front seven is probably the point on this yeah. team right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, that's going to be the part they have to be concerned about. Miles Slusher, by the way, uh, Sanders said today will not be available. So they will be minus one of the safeties uh, available as well against Nebraska. But uh, I just... What I saw from Nebraska doesn't tell me they can get to 40, and I think that CU might be able to get to 35 to 40 with regularity this year, depending on who they're facing. Yeah. I, they're going to put I, it this way. I, They'll be I very still, hard to keep I under 31 points. I still want to see them go up against a defense, and I think they'll see that much on Saturday against Nebraska, yeah. a defense that's better than TCU's well, defense. And maybe better than a lot of the ones they'll even see in the Pac-12, to be totally honest. A a, a passing offense oriented type of conference. So it is in a way a good test. And obviously another one of those footprint games where if you're Colorado, you talk about first impressions again. Yeah, they made the first impression, but you're at home hosting Nebraska and the two athletic directors have spoken now about six dates between 2025 and 2033 that might sync up of which I think both directors would love to be able to put this back on the schedule. So this is a big game for for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I think coming out of the game this weekend, the the only possible fly in the ointment. Uh, I, you know, I thought Jason Cole on Twitter or X. Whatever they're calling it these days. No, they don't pay you. Ma- Call made, what you want. Made a good point, and uh, Bob Kravitz uh, tweeted out. Do they still call it tweets yep. or X's now? Yep. Uh, much the same thing. Uh, Jason Cole made four points, three of them very positive about Colorado, and I agree with all three. So, number one, I like what Deion Sanders is doing for college football. Um, Fox likes it, too, because Fox had 7.262 million viewers on Saturday. Uh, It was by far the most watched Saturday game and only behind the 9.17 million that watched on ABC Sunday night when it was Florida State. Well, that's the only game. Two of the top eight teams in the country and is the only game going on. I bet you those numbers go up next week because, again, it's the same time slot on Fox. Their, their, their big noon game, which is 10 a.m. here, I bet those go up. Uh, yeah, they, they might. Uh, I don't think they're going to go down very much if they go down at all. Uh, so uh, I, I think we can all agree with that first point. Number two, uh, great respect for his challenging himself at CU. I mean, there are other jobs that he probably should have been offered but no job that was offered to him after a season in which the school hiring him won one game right. and lost a left. Yeah, he didn't. He so didn't uh, he, cherry pick. He, he the, didn't make yeah. it easy on himself by choosing a cushy job where, even though there may have been some hard times recently, generally the program has been in good shape. Uh, that has not been true for the last twenty years. Uh, my friend Where it Chris might have been in say, Auburn got into or something a little like debate that. with Kurt Herb Street the other night, and I think in debate sometimes it happens to me and it happens to all of us. You get a little flustered. You're maybe on the defensive a little bit, and Chris ended up saying at one point, "Well, CU's only had a couple bad years in the last uh, twenty. Uh, really? <laughs> well, a couple. And they've had one. If you good consider year in the last, I, I, yeah, 20. I would that's, say uh, that's the truth. You know, a couple being all." but a few yeah uh, a couple of yeah, decades maybe yeah yeah last yeah. couple yeah decades it's been it's decades, been bad it's been bad but uh uh kirk herb street was having a good time with that because uh, he obviously had had the better of the debate. yeah but uh, anyway laid that one right on go the down to number him. three uh betting on him to fail as in fall on his face and as many thought go three and nine two and ten maybe one and eleven again this year, bad bet. You know, Scott Van Pelt uh, yeah. has his bad bets. That's a bad bet. bet. Betting on him to fall on his face and fail miserably, that's a bad bet. Number four, given all the positive points made in the first three observations, he needs to 
shut the hell up about reporters believing in his program. It's not our job to believe or disbelieve. We're in the opinion business, but we're also reporting on what we see. Well, we and have- I thought Ed Warder, although Dion really went after him, and they know each other. Ed Warder covered the Cowboys for years for ESPN. Uh, but hasn't been time, writing, by Dion the way, for Sanders. a while. Has been doing television alone for a no, while. No, but Dion made the observation, which He's I found kind of odd, yeah. that he had read Ed Warder's stuff. I right. don't know what he read. Um, but in any case, Dion went right after Ed Warder, who's a familiar face, and challenged him by saying, do you believe? And Ed Warder had a great response. He said, in what, coach? In what am I supposed to believe? And Dion was obviously a bit rattled by that very right. good response and ended up, well, yeah, then he you don't believe. believe. Then you don't believe. Well, no, he Next didn't question. say that. Yes. He's what, asking yeah. you in what yeah, believe is in he what? supposed to believe? And I might have added, your top 25, uh, your championship are you going to go 12-0 and and win the national championship? Yeah. In that, I don't believe. No. And, and the funny thing that comes up at times with that, too, it, when it, it's our job, and you, you know we get this regularly for for whatever reason. We have no impact on the games. The media has no impact on the games. And whether whether you Deion believe Sanders care in Deion Sanders they, if, or if don't believe in Deion Sanders or hope the Buffs win or the hope only the Buffs thing that matters lose. to Deion Sanders or should matter is whether his players believe that. Right, and if they do, the belief that they can win any game, wonderful. It doesn't matter what we think. No. And if I say or you say or the consensus is that they'll win four games, five games, six games, it doesn't make the likelihood of that happening any greater or any no. less. And, you, and you, you want to shut them up? Go win more games then. That's easy. That's right. Just go That's win right. more games. And, and they will have to change their now, tune. A certain and, and amount we of already saw that. A certain amount of crowing, and I said this, I think, yesterday. Um, you know, the memory goes, I age. Hmm. I think I said this yesterday on the air. A certain amount of crowing, I thought he was entitled to. Yes. Oh, yes. A certain amount. But going after an individual reporter and basically seeming to take the position that it's the media's job to get on the bandwagon and start pushing the CU cause a little more aggressively now that they beat TCU, um, that that isn't the media's job. And I understand there are certain people in the media with different approaches than those of us who are more traditional might have. And I think the presence of those people tends to make coaches think, well, yeah, you especially should be in the for college us. game, you should be cheering, you should for, be us. cheering for us. I think that's very real. There's also, I think there's an also a second part of that that drives that, that commentary from Deion Sanders. We'll talk about that and we'll hear a little bit more from Shadur next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. Still looking at the Buffaloes. We'll have Seth Wickersham, the terrific author and writer for ESPN.com. We had a terrific piece on Sean Payton. We'll have him just in a couple of minutes. As, top as of the good hour. a profile as I've ever read on Sean Payton, and yep. I've read a few. Yeah. Uh, I, I quite agree. a few during his time in New Orleans, but. Seth Wickersham uh, knows Sean Payton pretty well. Sean Payton clearly trusts Seth Wickersham, who spent probably more time with Sean Payton during the offseason than any journalist around. So uh, it's a piece well worth reading if you haven't read it yet, and we'll uh, flush out some of what he wrote uh, coming up here in about 15 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So when we take a look back at this, uh, see when we'll do that as, as yeah. well, because we wanted to hear a little bit more from Shooter Sanders, the – Idea that Dion at first, by the way, you're talking about, you know, worrying about getting a press on the bandwagon. And you're right. I think there is some confusion at times as to, especially when you're talking about 
college sports where I think this yes. is uh, yeah. more of an, uh, uh, I'm not even going to say issue, more of a reality than in the professional sports circles in which people have a loyalty to their schools or, you know, whatever. And so there's, there's a natural fandom there. And sometimes, it, sometimes some people separate it better than others. But if you're Deion Sanders, the funny thing is I will say this. It's sort of crazy like a fox to go after it because perhaps you, perhaps he truly believes the media should get on board and be talking about being, being in their corner. But here's the thing. Dion does know what he's doing. He's able to now have a couple people that are in his corner, right? We believe. Well, the whole business out of the Robert Sala playbook. Remember last year when Robert Sala said he was taking receipts? Right. All the people who knocked uh, the Jets. And then Dion used the same word, receipts. receipts. We're, we're all collecting uh, and I'm not I'm not saying in the bag or anything of the sort but uh, you know the, the first story of the Denver Post uh, Sean Keeler we both know and and uh, respect and like first the headline we believe coach prime I mean so so you know he's gonna get those guys over at the same time the ones that don't Dion's gonna take that right to the locker room and use right. it as motivation right. so he right. really can't lose in that regard you can you can tell I've, I've talked about this when it comes to Sean Payton not every player, especially in today's world, gets coached the same way. Some guys do better with tough love. Some guys do better with the with the pat on the backside and saying you'll get them next time. Some people need the Dylan Edwards. You fumbled, and you, you needed the hug and say, we'll go back to you, kid. Some guys need chewed out. And I think good coaches have to know when you're both. And if you're Deion Sanders, his game with the media here allows him to do both. So I think he's fully aware that oh, he can't really go them. wrong. Right. The media is them. On whichever side it needs to be. Right. They, they can be for you because there's going to be certain members that there are that can be against you. It's whatever he needs them to be. And that's the way the media role usually is, by the way. We're sort of cardboard stand-ups that can be placed as props by coaches or by players wherever they need to be placed. Uh, that's the reality of it. And so, okay, so be it. Back to the important part for the buffs, and that is the games and what they've learned. The one thing in my notes when I wrote about this game and looked over it was with Shadur Sanders that I uh, made one, in my opinion, mental mistake when he ran out of bounds and made the, the field goal longer than it needed to be and it got blocked. That's minor. I, but, I mean, I'm talking about his entire game. I won. The other thing I noted, though, is I wrote in my notes, needs to be more decisive when rolling out. They're faster up here. That was my concern. Because Shadur Sanders, the... He is, even though he is listed as 6'2", 215, he seems a little slighter than that. And Deion Sanders has repeatedly talked about they have to keep him upright. It's one of the things he says in almost every press conference. We have to keep him upright. So learning that is going to be important. On the bright side, right after the game, Sanders is almost like he was listening to me. He most certainly was not. But almost like he was, because this is what he discussed about that exact concern. Did anything feel different Did anything feel different today? Nah, Not, nothing really. The only, I'll say the only difference between FCS and this level is the D-line get off bl blocks if you try to scramble up faster. That's it. Everything else, you got good players, you got good DBs, good receivers, everything like that. You just have more of those on the, on the field at once. You got to think, everybody on the field ain't going first round. A lot of people on the field may not get drafted. So don't let people fear names. I don't fear names because I really don't care. But that's the biggest thing. When you fear names and, and you let, that's half the battle. You already losing. Dang, we playing TCU. I respect the university. I respect everything about them. But personally, I just never cared about names. He's, he's absolutely right about all of that. And I think that's the, the, the recognizing the difference in speed tells me that the very next game he's gonna be like well okay i saw that this time i've if i'm gonna roll out i gotta be either decide faster or maybe not roll out or whatever it's gonna but he's already seen it and already called it out as a difference that he noticed that's a great sign the other part to be quite frank sandy let how okay how many players are on college rosters it's a lot i'm just gonna say and we know it's actually i'm just gonna say 80 right just say 80 and let's say there's 120 teams roughly right there's more than that, too. What I'm saying is there are 10,000 FBS college players this year. Think about that. 10,000. Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. Where was he drafted? 200 and blah, blah, blah? 262. Okay. 
You know what 262 divided by 10,000 is? And keep in mind, it's more than that. I'm going to have to go back. And I, I, that's a two hundredths of a percent. Shadur's right about that. And it's one of the reasons that I think when this program got turned around so quickly, and there is reason to believe that it can be successful to the point where they can make a bowl game. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not going this crazy 10 win, 12 win. Uh, if they do, great. I'll be happy to eat that crow. But Shadur is also right when talking about the mindset. Yeah, you can't be afraid of everybody. Just because they're wearing that jersey doesn't mean right. that they're going to be the best. And and I think he's referring, again, to the idea that uh, fewer than that 300 guys out of 10,000 get 20 drafted. 20-point underdogs because TCU played in the national championship And they had a game. massive amount of roster turnover as well. Sure. A lot. And, sure. and, and keep this in mind, too, by the way. Great point uh, by the AP today. I'm bullish on the buffs, but I think this is important. Don't overreact to game one because TCU had a lot of turnover with their roster. A lot. In fact, I believe the Fox put it up and they said out of starters, that was the two biggest turnaround in starting players in in major college football in the Power Five. But let's go back to 2016. 2016 in week one, Texas knocked off Notre Dame in overtime. And everyone was talking about Texas is back. They jumped from unranked to 11. The Buffs are 22, if you remember that. Texas is back. Has Texas been back since? Not really. Well, what happened is Charlie Strong's team wasn't actually all that good. You know why? Because Notre Dame wasn't actually all that good. Texas and Notre Dame that year combined for a 9-15 and record. But since it was Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish... And the Texas Longhorns, everyone put way too much stock into it and didn't realize that neither of those teams were all that good. They went by brand names, not by the actual players and coaches on those two teams. And then they've got overreactions on both sides. It would not shock me, Sandy, if TCU is not ranked at all at the end of the year. At all. Perhaps. And they may be a team and, and that barely gets in a bowl game. And then, you know, 25 teams ranked. What did they, you really win? But they were ranked 17. When this you beat is, them. This, so, and that matters. No, no, no. I, I'm saying, actually supporting your point, this is a team that was. Uh, this finished two. Finished ahead of the two other teams that lost in the semifinals, right? And. Yes, they got plastered by Georgia 65 yeah, well, to 7. So did everybody. And a lot of people will remember that. Uh, Georgia was doing that to a whole lot of folks last year. Uh, Georgia may or may not be a budding dynasty in college football. But in spite of that, and with a coach who was coach of the year last year, they didn't open this year in the top 10 or the top 15. They opened 17th, not 7th. Not 14th, 17th. Now, on the scale of whether Colorado's win the other day was big deal, little deal, no deal, you'd be crazy to say anything other than it was a big deal. Because of where they are, not where their opponent is. Yes, yes, exactly. And no sane person would say, oh, it's no deal. Any game that is featured as that one was between a team that was in the national championship game and the worst team in college football in FBS number 133 out of 133 FBS schools. And they're more than a 20 point underdog and they win the game outright straight up. They win the game and it's not one of those, you know, fluke, fourth quarters where they came from way behind and the other side turned it over and beat themselves as much as C1. C won the game on merit. CU led most of the game. They responded several times late in the game when they fell behind. It's all good, and it's a big deal, and they're entitled to do some crowing over it. But it doesn't give us an absolute definitive sense how the rest of the season will Got to go back and do it again. They'll have an opportunity on Saturday when the hated Cornhuskers come to town. ESPN's Seth Wickersham host, uh, wrote a phenomenal piece on Sean Payton, as good as either of us have ever read. 
We're fortunate to have him join us next on My Life Sports. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.